Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Policy Pack Software, now part of Netbricks, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. ControlUp. Happy users, happy IT. And also by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. If you enjoy the podcast each week, give these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Microsoft have warned about CVE-2021-42321, which is a high severity exchange server vulnerability that may allow authenticated attackers to execute code remotely on vulnerable servers. The vulnerability only affects on-premises Microsoft Exchange servers, including those used by customers in Exchange hybrid mode. Microsoft have stated, quote, our recommendation is to install up these updates immediately to protect your environment, end quote. So this is one you're going to want to patch as soon as possible. And bleepycomputer.com shared that if you want to check to see if any of your exchange servers were hit by this vulnerability being exploited, or at least attempts to exploit it, there's a PowerShell query that you can run on each exchange server to check for specific events in the event log. And they've shared a really handy PowerShell one-liner that will quickly check your event logs for any attempts to hit this. There were some other vulnerability warnings this week, like on Linux embedded devices, and also some other general Linux vulnerabilities, but I didn't want to go too deep into those stories this week because uh, the last few episodes have been quite long, and I have some other stories that I'd like to cover this week, but I'll share links to each of those, including those Linux stories that I just mentioned quickly with this episode, which is episode 202, and you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. Congratulations to my employer and show sponsor ControlUp, who announced they have raised $100 million in Series D funding. They've said that this funding is so they can continue creating smart, easy-to-use solutions that enable people to get their jobs done without hassles. The new investment will accelerate their ability to help more enterprises open the door to the limitless possibilities of a simpler, more reliable work-from-anywhere experience. And all this translates to fewer headaches, lower costs, higher productivity, and happier people. K1 Investment Management and JVP, both previous backers, co-led this round of funding. TechCrunch.com reported that ControlUp is already a substantial business. Reporting that ControlUp's customers include four of the top five U.S. health insurance companies, five of the top eight U.S. healthcare companies, and four of the top six global telecom carriers. They also say that ControlUp's revenue grew 50% in the last year, with enterprise accounts growing 67%. Its technology is now monitoring desktops covering some 1 million seats globally. And they say to give you an idea of how big its customers are, those 1 million seats are connected to some 1,500 customers in all. 
So congratulations to all my colleagues at Control Up. This is well deserved. And it was a week for some major business end stories. And that includes a major new partnership has been announced between HP and Igel or Eagle. HP is now pre-installing the Igel OS on its top-selling thin client devices with an eye towards moving it to HP's mobile thin clients in future. Igel said that the pact means HP partners can now get the Igel OS through HP distributors around the world as at HP SKU on HP 2430, T540, and T640 thin clients. Igel CEO Jed Aries said, quote, With this deal, we are on our way to $150 million to $200 million in software sales, he said. He also said that this is massive for us in terms of the traction we can get with HP partners. HP has the best and most loyal channel in the world. We look at this as an opportunity to connect with tens of thousands of HP partners and sell hundreds of thousands of HP devices powered by Igel annually. And I would just add to this that actually in my last organization, we had a bunch of old HP thin clients that we ended up deploying to people's homes during the pandemic and they were running Igel OS uh, because this is not a huge knock against HP, but their management and that old um, thin shell, I think is what they call the operating system. It's just far inferior to what Igel provides in my opinion. So congratulations to Igel and also to HP because I think having Igel as a partner is a very good move for them too. Suze have acquired New Vector. If you're not familiar with New Vector, I actually blogged about them on my site a few years ago. Uh, New Vector is a lifecycle container security provider that delivers end-to-end security solutions. So one of the challenges, particularly years ago with containers was once you had them running out there it's very hard to have visibility within them i mean they're actually designed to be somewhat obfuscated um, in terms of it so once you put them out there you wouldn't know that they're still secure what they're connected to what their interdependencies are unless you had it charted out from when you were creating them and new vector gave you that visibility and it also gave you an eye into the security of things like um, what containers are talking to each other where the firewall holes are within containers and that kind of thing and obviously with kubernetes being such a huge buzz now it is probably more important of a product than ever and obviously sues feel the same futurumresearch.com stated that consideration for the acquisition is reported to be part cash part stock with a total valuation of 130 million dollars so congratulations to New Vector. That's awesome. So I did warn that the first few stories were going to be more on the business side of things. And we continue that with the story that Grafana Labs, a company behind some of the world's most ubiquitous open and composable operational dashboards, has announced a strategic partnership with Microsoft to develop a Microsoft Azure managed service that lets customers run Grafana natively within their Azure Cloud platform. The new service makes it simple for Azure customers to deploy secure and scalable Grafana instances and connect to open source, cloud, and third-party data sources for visualization and analysis. 
They say that customers interested in proprietary plugins would be able to easily upgrade to Grafana Enterprise. And customers who choose the Microsoft Azure Managed Service can easily upgrade to the full Grafana Enterprise experience to maximize their existing IT infrastructure investments with data source plugins to the most popular services in the market today, including ServiceNow, Splunk, MongoDB, New Relic, Datadog, and more. Customers also have access to customized training sessions, professional services, and enterprise-level support. So Grafana is pretty cool. I really like the visuals. Their dashboards are very pretty looking. And if you'd like to join the preview, there is a sign-up, and I'll share a link to that with this episode, which again is episode 202. There was a very interesting story this week. A recent IT system upgrade of SAP software for PepsiCo UK and Ireland is causing disruption to the supply of some of their products. Suppliers were working around the clock to resolve these issues as soon as possible to increase supply, but it was noticeable a lot of people on Twitter, in particular from the UK, were reporting that Walker's Crisps, which I believe are owned by PepsiCo, are missing from the shelves of Tesco grocery stores. The spokesperson said, We continue to keep our retail customers up to date and sincerely apologize for the inconvenience caused. So, if you've ever worked a failed upgrade before, you can definitely empathize with the poor people who were working on that upgrade. I don't know if I've worked on one that's caused a downtime or disruption to a supply chain before, so my commiserations to those IT workers, it must be very stressful. Citrix published article CTX330728 recently for vulnerabilities that have been discovered in Citrix ADC, Citrix Gateway, and Citrix SD-WAN WANOP edition models 4000-WO, 4100-WO, 5000-WO, and 5100-WO. These vulnerabilities if exploited can be used for unauthenticated denial of service attacks and also a temporary disruption of the management GUI, Nitro API, and RPC communication for your ADC, Gateway, and SD-WAN, WANOP services. This affects Citrix ADC and Gateway version 13 before 13.0-83.27, the ADC and Gateway 12.1 before 12.1-63.22, Citrix ADC and Netscaler Gateway 11.1 before 11.1-65.23, and also Citrix ADC 12.1-FIPS before 12.1-55.257. And also on the SD-WAN WANOP edition, that's 11.4 before 11.4.2, and also 10.2 before 10.2.9c. So if you're on any of those versions or earlier, you need to install all relevant updates as soon as possible. Also note that the WANOP feature of SD-WAN Premium Edition is not impacted by this vulnerability. And I saw that the awesome Jan Tigit, I'm sorry if I pronounce your last name wrong, Jan, but he tweeted that if you are taking corrective actions for the vulnerability and you are using RDP proxy, things might break after performing an upgrade to the latest firmware. So be warned, if you're using RDP proxy, 
tread lightly with this one, it seems. The U.S. government has offered $10 million for information about the cyber gang known as Darkseid, who are alleged to be the gang who was behind the infamous colonial pipeline hack that resulted in fuel shortages in parts of the U.S. $10 million makes this the largest bounty ever offered for the arrest of a specific cyber criminal. The BBC reports a separate $5 million reward has been offered for information leading to the arrest of anybody conspiring to participate in a dark side ransomware attack. In a pretty remarkable development, the Conti cyber gang have issued a statement apologizing to members of the Saudi Arabia, UAE, and Qatar families. Vice.com reported, quote, Vice.com reported that the cyber gang stated, quote, we found that our sample data was not properly reviewed before being uploaded to the blog. Conti guarantees that any information pertaining to members of Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and Qatar families will be deleted without any exposure and review. Our team apologizes to His Royal Highness Prince Mohammed bin Salman and any other members of the royal families whose names were mentioned in the publication for any inconvenience. End quote. The hackers go on to say that other than publishing the data on their site, they did not sell it or trade it, and that from now on they will, quote, implement a more rigid data review process for any future operations, end quote. I find it funny that they appear to be in fear of repercussions from breaches against Saudi Arabia, UAE, and Qatar, but not against anyone else. Maybe it's because if you piss off the people leading those countries, they're not going to be waiting to try and extradite you and not have an extradition granted and just never catch you. They're going to send someone to your house and execute you. <laughs> well, allegedly, I guess. <laughs> and on a cheerier note, the awesome Tom Fenton and Patrick Kennedy published a new book this week about running ESXi on a Raspberry Pi. With the book, you could become familiar through hands-on experience with the most popular hypervisor in the data center, build a low-cost VMware-based home lab, and deploy low-cost edge appliances that support enterprise-grade software. So if you're interested in installing VMware ESXi on Raspberry Pi 4 to run Linux virtual machines, you'll want to check out this book. And I did get a copy of the book this week, so I'm hoping some time will free up. I'll be able to read that and maybe uh, review it maybe on the podcast or at least on my site, RoryMond.com. So congrats again to both Tom and Patrick. You can now sign up for the public preview of Azure Active Directory Join for Windows 365 Enterprise. So I mentioned this on the podcast, I think a couple of weeks ago was announced. Actually, not a couple of weeks ago, last week at Ignite. That's just how time is working. Damn daylight savings time change screwed me up anyway it was announced but there was no sign up and it's oh it's going to be in preview so now there's still no sign up but they've at least put out a publication or a blog post about the support coming up and they say that azure ad join cloud pcs provide key benefits including the ability to create azure ad join cloud pcs without bringing any azure infrastructure 
Uh, create Azure AD joined cloud PCs on your own network, just like today by using an on-premises network connection. Provide cloud PCs for cloud-only users in your organization, and also gain more flexibility to sign into your cloud PC using Windows Hello for Business. Um, I think I've talked about it two or three times on the podcast before, but to me, this is probably going to be the biggest feature in Azure Virtual Desktop, which it's already there but just kind of all around for those smaller organizations like startups who may have not been using AVD or Windows 365 before now because they don't want to use an enterprise desktop that requires a connection back to a domain or uh, a site, right? They don't have that today. Maybe they're just using Okta or something like that. Why are they going to go through the added expense of setting up their own domain? So wiping that requirement out is going to be a big enabler for those types of organizations. So all good. So keep an eye out for that preview when it becomes available. And now for some quick hit stories, Microsoft Teams now provides the ability to open a separate chat window from the app. So if you're a fan of being able to pop out your chat windows and have multiple windows spread across monitors or whatever, now you can. Mozilla Firefox is now available in the Microsoft Store. And point of interest, this is an MSIX application, which I know, I think I saw Daniel Rubio, I believe that's who it was, was saying, well, this is a big deal for MSIX. I guess it is for adoption, maybe. Um, It's not a huge head turner for me in terms of the application being an MSIX because Browsers have worked. They're not a problem. I mean, browsers work with pretty much every form of app packaging, containerization, virtualization, or what you have it. But I guess a vendor actually delivering an MSIX is significant. So long may that continue. And hopefully this is the beginning for others to start doing it too. Microsoft have announced that the OneDrive desktop application will reach end of support on legacy Windows 7, 8, and 8.1 starting in January 1st, 2022. So just a few weeks away, really. The remedy for this? Move to at least Windows 10. And another life cycle alert, this time courtesy of Lurie and Microsoft. Windows 10 version 2004 or 2004 will the end of support on December 14th, 2021. So that's even closer. And he states to please use an enablement package to move to any newer version of Windows 10 before that. And now some weekly webinars. First up from Friday, the 12th of November, E2EVC in Lisbon is taking place, and because of the crazy world that we're still living in, there's going to be a remote option too. And the GoToWebinar link has been shared, so if you'd like to register to attend any of the sessions on Friday or over the weekend, I'll provide a link to that. There's always awesome sessions. I'm really excited to see uh, Dennis Gundarov's session because I had some questions around like AVD and Windows 365. So you should check that out too. And also, next week on the 18th, the AVD Tech Fest Winter Edition will be held. And again, there's going to be a whole day of awesome sessions. And this is one that I myself will be presenting at. I'm going to be presenting on the topic of the Windows 365 Cloud PC Business SKU Edition and how to manage it. 
And that one's going to be at 10.20 a.m. GMT time. But definitely check out all the other great sessions too. And now, some scripts, tricks, and tips. Well, I just mentioned Dennis, and last week I featured in the scripts, tricks, and tips a thread from Dennis about sessions on Windows. Well, he was back again this week with another awesome thread asking, are you wondering what is the difference between frame rate and refresh rate in remoting protocols? So I believe Dennis may even be the owner of Microsoft of the RDP protocol, so there's no better source for learning about remoting protocols. So this is another awesome thread, definitely one worth checking out. The great Anoop C. Nair had a blog post this week that can allow you to quickly check registry values using SCCM CM pivot queries. So it's probably something if you're an SCCM admin or a MECM, I think is the new term. If you're already an admin, you've probably done this before, but no harm to review how someone else is doing it. This week, I saw that the great Patrick Matula recommended something called voidtools.com, which I didn't know anything about before, but it looks like it's a super search engine on Windows to help locate files and folders by name instantly. So if you find it annoying when you're trying to go in and do a search within Explorer, this seems like a much quicker solution. The search engine itself is called Everything, great name, but they also have a PowerShell module called PS Everything. And finally, Marius Sanbu published a short blog post on Citrix, MCS, and PVS on Azure with some interesting conclusions on, you know, maybe what to use, MCS versus PVS, and what the benefits of one is over the other. And I thought it was an interesting conclusion, so you might find it interesting too. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. 